0: For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.
2: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, My guest in this episode uh, is the coach of arguably the most successful sporting franchise in the country. Uh, I think there is a pretty good argument to say that it is certainly in Perth. Uh, And I speak, of course, of the Perth Wildcats uh, and its five-time championship winning coach, Trevor Gleeson, who is our guest on this episode of Inspiring Stories. Trevor, thanks for your time. G'day, boys. Yeah, glad to uh, join up with you guys. Yeah, looking forward to uh, hearing perhaps some of the stories that people uh, don't know about you, Trevor, some of the off-court stuff uh, that's helped shape you into uh, the most successful career uh, the Perth Wildcats have ever had uh, in what is already a pretty successful uh, time of existence. So, uh, Trevor, again, thanks for your time. Um, Firstly, how's the uh, lockdown life treating you are you enjoying the the quieter moments that have been forced upon you
1: yeah well i guess there's a lot of um of, of the list of uh, my wife has had uh, we've been able to tick off a fair few of those i'm ready to go back to work to get a rest
2: <laughs> get a rest at work <laughs> <laughs>
0: Exactly right. right.
2: Um, in terms of keeping in touch with your, your players are you having to do a lot of that in, in this uh, off time
1: yeah it's just to stay stay connected with everybody and see how they're doing. This is really our downtime uh that we have the players either have surgery and they get away for holidays and uh, it's really is a chance for their body to recoup, you know, a month or six weeks after the season and uh, we really put some plans in place but um you know the the players really can't go anywhere it's just some downtime which is great for them cuz a number of them have been going for 12, 18 months and some of them have been going for really two years without a break. So it's a good one for them. But, yeah, certainly staying in touch, making sure that they're not getting
0: mm.
2: too bored and mm. um, hopefully we can get out there shortly and get on the court. Because I know you're very big on uh, fostering that culture and that chemistry in the team. Has that been tricky to, uh, to, to maintain that uh, in these different times?
1: Yeah, like I said, it was, it's pretty much uh, this is our low time in normal times anyway, yep. but now the corona's, um, you know, through this period of time. It's worked in well for us, but uh, normally from now in May, we'll start to, to pick that up and start developing guys and added skill levels to the guys so they get ready
2: for next year. Mm. Trevor, let's go back to where it all began for you. Uh, you grew up in the relatively small town of Warrnambool. Uh, Victoria. For those who haven't seen Warrnambool for themselves, paint a picture for us.
1: Yeah, Warrnambool's about three hours south of Melbourne, uh, southwest of Melbourne and it's a country town right along the coast. Um, it gets really uh, populated there around Christmas time January. Mm. Other than that it's about a 30,000, well when I was there anyway it was about a 30,000 population so it was uh a great place to to grow up and to learn the ropes and uh, very, very much uh, fond memories of down there in Warrnambool.
2: Yeah, and early family life for you? Uh, siblings, I'm guessing a pretty sports-mad family that you were in?
1: Yeah, we'll have uh, four siblings and three older brothers are all sports-crazy, from swimming to football to basketball, and my sister was, was a very good
0: swimmer at the time,
1: yeah, it was competitive in the backyard. I was the youngest of five. Yeah, um, my dad was a, a hard worker, a truck driver that used to travel interstate. Mum, uh, when she worked, was in the mill, and you know we we lived in commissions, government housing, and so it was it was um, you know a tough upbringing. But you don't really know how tough and poor you were until later on in mm-hmm. stage. It was just a normal, great uh, upbringing there.
2: How did you go as the the youngest in the pack there? Did you have to fight and scrap for everything?
1: Everything. Uh, nothing was given to me for free. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, there's a bit of an age gap between my brothers. And, um, so it was, uh, yeah, certainly nothing was given. You have to earn your stripes from an early age. That probably get got my competitive yep. juices going at an early stage.
2: Yeah. Did you find then that you had a skill too for sort of, manipulating the environment and and trying to coach those around you to your advantage
1: <laughs> yeah probably not then it was probably you, you just you're earning you know um how life is and it's if you want to be successful you've got to work hard and that was something that really got into me early i, I used to have the 10 12 year old clean football boots run the boundary do the scoreboard anything to earn a buck and Yep. Back then, I used to get a pie and a can of Coke, um, but it was certainly ingrated. If you wanted something, you really had to earn it. Yeah, um, yep.
2: that's That's been lasting all the way through my career. You've obviously been around professional sport all of your, your adult life. Um, as a youngster, though, we'll get to why you didn't play that uh, in a moment, but um, as a youngster, was it your aspiration to uh, to compete or to be in that competitive elite environment?
1: Yeah, without a question. I know, look, I was pretty, pretty good in the junior level at basketball, football, even in tennis. Uh, anything that had a ball involved with it—that's that's what I loved doing. It. Yep. Uh, getting outside and competing
2: and, and striving to be the best, and I certainly wanted to play in Australian championships and go on further and play as much as I could. So it, it was always basketball as your priority, though, as a sport.
1: Yeah, well, I played football as well. I think I played my first senior game as a Mm. 15-year-old. But, yeah, basketball was was my original love. And back when I was growing up in the 70s, it was, you know, basketball wasn't that big. And I remember sitting around, um, you know, we're lucky enough when I was in the teens to get a uh, VHS recorder and, we had some people in Melbourne that had uh, some NBA games on tape, and they brought the tape down to Warrnambool, and then we could watch oh, right. it. Because you know we only had two channels growing up. Yeah. Um. There was no way of watching. You know, I remember watching Dr. J and, and all these players in the in the seventies. It was like wow, yeah. this, this kind of world. And the tape could have been two or three years old. But yeah. It certainly um, got the juices flowing, and and yeah. that's what I wanted to be involved with.
2: And a town like Warrnambool, did you even have a an indoor basketball arena growing up, let alone an outdoor one?
1: Yeah, no, we did. We was the old we called it the old tin shed. It used to be an old water uh, water storage place that they uh, emptied out and put a couple of courts down there. So the old YMCA was mm. yeah very uh, very good. And uh, look, once a year we used to have all the major teams come down and play. From the uh, NBL teams from Adelaide used to come across the border and play. From Geelong and Melbourne used to come down. Uh, even Lindsay Gay's brought uh, the Australian Boomers down to play in the Australian Day Long Week tournament. It was uh, it was uh, very very popular, and um, some of the best players in Australia to come down the end of January and play. And I remember sitting down watching Lindsay Gay's coach uh, sitting behind his. Um, bench that you can get really close then, and and just watching him and uh, you know and getting those
2: juices flowing
1: from an early early age.
2: Yeah, I bet. Um, having said that, as an eighteen-year-old, uh, coaching very much became your focus, didn't it? You had a uh, an incident that really curtailed any dreams of 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 actually being um, competitive yourself out on the court or the footy field or, or wherever. Can can you just elaborate on what happened to you as an eighteen-year-old?
1: Yeah, it was 18, I, I had a job working in the uh, avatars, and one day went to work and a hydraulic door uh, was going up and, and the cable snapped and it came down like a guillotine. And right at that moment, I was underneath it and it uh, crushed my back. Wow. Um I had a compressed fracture of L4 and L5 in my back. I had five broken ribs, punctured lung, um, you know, and I was very lucky to be alive. Wow. at that stage half a second before i would have been through it half a second later i could have been six foot under um yeah so the guillotine door came down and it was a cow's leg that was stuck um that it couldn't hit the floor and split me in two that really saved my life so wow um yeah from that moment it really changed my life as an 18 year old finding out that you couldn't play sport i Spend the next two months in hospital, staring at the ceiling, learning how to walk again, uh, getting my body right after a couple of operations. Yeah, and, um, it was really uh, a hard time as an 18-year-old that you couldn't play sport. Yeah, and really in the social aspect, if your teammates, you're you're out on the edge. So uh, the only really way I could stay involved was that to start the coaching, and that's that mm. uh, grew a passion from that.
2: And, and was that something that just popped into your head or did someone plant that seed for you?
1: I think the, you just rehab and trying to get back first. And it was, yep. uh, I think it was more so my mother saying, well, why don't you get into coaching? And uh, I'm trying to get back to a level of playing and I couldn't even run and, and my speed had gone. So it was a um, really a natural progression that I started coaching juniors and under 10s and, under 12s and and I went to under sixteens, under eighteens and I coached the the local um women's team, the, the mermaids. portable mermaids. And yeah. So it was uh it just started in a progression and as I learned got better and uh it was something that I loved doing.
2: Yeah, and, and clearly still do and and with some degree of success to it has to be added. Uh, Trevor, we need to take a quick break, but we'll get into the next uh, phase of your career right after this. This is Inspiring Stories. Trevor Gleeson is our special
0: guest. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day, because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our special guest in this episode is Wildcats coach Trevor Gleeson. Uh, Trevor, just before we move into your coaching career, as an 18-year-old, when you're trying to uh, rehabilitate yourself and get back on your feet after this uh, traumatic injury, uh, did you have to abandon all hope, uh, uh, you know, fairly quickly of, of getting back to playing or was it something you had to gradually let go of?
1: Yeah, no, I had to I, – look, I gave it a, a crack trying to get back and playing sport but uh, I, I just – I wasn't – it felt like I had a weight belt around my stomach and just hold them, drag me down and obviously the pain that you're putting up with, then you you don't have the ability to do that anymore yeah. so it was – I gave it a good crack, but uh, realised that I couldn't play at the level I was there before,
2: and um, didn't uh, didn't go any further. And uh, a few years on now, uh, Trevor, without giving too much away, how is the uh, the injury now? Do you still feel it?
1: Yeah, it's it's always there, the back. is certainly limits you and the ability to do things, and when you sit or stand too long. But you know, I'm getting uh, I'm 50 now, so I've I've learned to live with it for a long time of my life, so mm. it's uh, yeah it's something that you got to you got to take into account.
2: Yep, and look, it set you on a path uh, as a coach, and it wasn't too long before uh, you tasted success. What was it like, um, for instance, with the Warnerball Mermaids? Great name, by the way.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it was. It gave you a different emotion from, from coaching because you actually see the players developing and improving and you see the team coming together and and having that joy of five players out of the court playing as one and then playing as the best that they can. And, and it was really, um, you know, I was very lucky to coach some great girls at that stage and we went on to win a, a win a championship in that first year. Mm. Um and it was, uh, you know, I just kept on spoke in the fire of why I enjoyed it, why I stayed there. It was the development and, um, you know, the relationships that you build along the way.
2: Mm. Was there ever a plan B bubbling away in the back of your mind if it wasn't going to be sport and coaching? Was there something else that you would have turned your mind to instead?
1: Yeah, well, that's uh, the only other thing was I was doing with swimming as rehab. I really got yeah. into swimming.
2: Um, and went into a couple
1: of uh, different events uh, down in in Victoria. But uh, back then, when I was coaching, it was never ever a paid position or yeah. a, a full time uh, position. It was never thought of that. But I just I kept on working. And um, I remember uh, I used to get videotapes sent down from Melbourne every weekend. Two videotapes, so I watched them on the weekend and sent them back on the Monday, so I could get some more mail on the following Friday. Um, there was really a bug that I wanted to keep improving, keep developing. I'd, I'd go down and watch, uh, you know, some legendary coaches of Lindsay Gaze. I'd go down and watch Bruce Palmer, Brian Gorgian. Mm. I'd go down and watch them at practice. I'd go down and watch um, Brett Brown. And it was really just, you know, learning the philosophy of coaching and communications and that school uh, mm. from a lot of work that I did. Uh, it just grew Kept yep. on grew into a passion, even though that it wasn't a paid position.
2: Yeah, um, and look, we probably don't even have the time, even in this uh, hour or so, to go through uh, your full journey along the way. You know, from from point to point. But um, I know you spent time in the Gold Coast and, and ended up uh, in in various uh, setups in in Queensland. Was that when it really started to become a, a profession, a paid gig, and a, and a profession for you?
1: Yeah, and that- I was straight up in Brisbane and I um, applied for a job and they interviewed me and I went into the interview and here's Brian um, Curl. And, and uh, you know, they told me the next day that I didn't get the job as, as the state league coach, but then the next day he offered me a, a development spot with the Brisbane Bullets. And mm. um, to go to work as a development and see these great players and Brian at that stage won four NBL championships. It was... Uh, you know, I was going to work every day. I didn't even count that as work. It was something yeah. I loved to do.
2: Yeah, yeah. So what then uh, What then spurred you on to move to the U.S.? Um, you've, you've left the Bullets and then you've decided to uh, up and go to the U.S. Uh, to coach in the Continental Basketball Association. What what prompted that?
1: Yeah, well, it was really a uh, necessity. We actually got fired as a coaching staff. Oh, that's and, right. And yeah, there was a mass happened. clear-out, wasn't there? Yeah, it is a professional sport that if you don't make the playoffs, it's uh, using the head coaches on the chopping block. And that's what happened after three years of the Bullets. uh, Curly got fired and um, the whole staff got fired. So I was really a part of the furniture then. And um, I wanted to continue coaching. and I really couldn't get a job in Australia. So I said, well, I'll jump on a plane here and head over to America and see how my luck goes over there.
2: Uh, and it's uh, it went all right, didn't it? Because uh, you spent uh, a few years there and, and then South Korea after that. But um, it, tell me about the Continental Basketball Association and where that sits uh, in the pecking order in the U.S. Because obviously, you know, it doesn't get any bigger than uh, the NBA in the U.S.
1: Yeah, well, it's right underneath. It's probably equivalent to the reserve grade, um, yep. you know, and that's how players would get called up to the NBA to play if there was injuries or yep. if there was trades or, or whatever. And, you know, some of the most talented players are playing in that level, trying to get back to the NBA. Um, obviously, there's a college system, then there's a pro system. And now the CBA is called the G League over there. But, uh, yeah, it was... Tough learning there. We, yeah. You played uh, 64 games. And, wow. Uh, you see a lot of stuff uh, happened during that there. So yeah. um, I think yeah. I spent four years over there. It was fantastic.
2: Mm. Yeah. Uh, and where were you based and what was life like there? I mean, I say where were you based? You, it doesn't sound like you're actually at home very much.
1: <laughs> no, I was right in the middle. I was in a place called Quad City, which is uh, right in the middle of Midwest America. Then I moved yeah. to Sioux Falls. Uh, where I finished up for two years in in Sioux Falls, which is snow six feet deep. It's yep. April it's snowing. It's uh, it certainly woke me up to how mm. cold places <laughs> in the world can be.
2: You thought Warrnambool was cold? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly right. It's like minus 19. This uh, yeah, and you know, they have twisters coming through.
2: It's uh, yeah, quite an it's experience. Pretty wild, yeah. Uh, off court, though, you know, putting the success on court to one side, off court you had a bit of success too, uh, Trevor. That was where you met uh, Dawn, who went on to become, of course, your, your wife and, and, and mother of your children.
1: Yeah, it was a great time. We've uh, finished uh, finished up in school, so it was um, you know a great time for me that yep. I managed to drag Dawn around the rest of the world with me and. <laughs> I've been very fortunate that she supported me through my career, the ups and downs, and uh, yeah, we've got two beautiful kids and and uh, live happily over here in uh, WA.
2: Yeah, um, can you share with us how you met? Is there a good story there?
1: Yeah, well, I, I suppose it's different either side, but uh, I always say dawn was stalking me, but um, <laughs> it was it was after one of the games I was coaching. Uh, Two Falls Sky Force in the in the CBA, and we lost a game in overtime. And I said to my assistant, "Let's go and have a beer. I need to uh, need to relax." And uh, Dorm at the bar, and um, we just got started talking. And I said I was a coach. He said, "Oh yeah, that was, was that that game was that boring. I left it half <laughs> so, uh Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, we stayed in contact, and um, yeah, here
2: we are. And the rest um, is history.
1: Yeah, there you go.
2: Yeah, I'll ask you a little bit more about uh, uh, about your time with Dawn later when we talk about, you know, the, the pink game that's now become such a, a fixture on the, the, the calendar. But um, we need to take a break, Trevor. After that, South Korea is the next stage uh, of your journey, so I'm keen to hear how life was in South Korea uh, having left uh, the snowy Sioux Falls area. So uh, we'll get into that right after a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment.
0: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6 br brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Trevor Gleeson is our special guest. Uh, Trevor, we're at the point where... Uh, you've spent four years in the U.S., a couple of those in the very uh, deep snow of uh, Sioux City, and then, hey, let's go to South Korea. (laughs) How does that even come about?
1: Yeah, well, that was, uh, well, the same thing, that uh, we missed the playoffs. Our record was 23 and 25 and missed the playoffs by one spot. The owner said, hey, listen you've got to make the playoffs to keep your job and so unemployed and mm. then i got a call from samsung in south korea so it was uh yeah flew out to la to meet him and um yeah it was a a good time and they offered me a coaching gig in uh in seoul so um i thought this is a, a great experience to to grab and so uh, we headed over to seoul south korea
0: yeah
2: yeah and 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 off court, how does that conversation go with dawn? then you literally just have to sit it down and say, Well, I don't have a job now, how do you fancy a complete culture change and go to south korea
1: yeah well that's that's <laughs> a part of uh we we just met really uh yeah. you know six months before, and, and uh it's hard to say that you haven't got a job I, I bet. Um, yeah it was we's a long distance relationship you know the tests out. Uh, every part of a relationship. And it was, uh, we could bring her over for a couple of times that she can come and stay for a little bit and have a look while we're play- uh, playing, you know, for an eight-month season. Yeah. Um, yeah, it worked really well.
2: Mm. And South Korea is a place to, to live and work, uh, you know, quite different to Australia and the U.S., obviously. There's, you know, there's some crossover in, in a cultural sense between us and the U.S., probably less so between us and, and South Korea, though, right?
1: Yeah, no, it was it was pretty difficult. Just uh, anything from the communication. Obviously, yeah. no one's speaking English. It's broken English, and we have an interpreter. And uh, I'm recruiting, uh, you know, US uh, imports, and so you know, a five-minute conversation takes twenty minutes um, <laughs> to to go through the interpreter, and then you got to you can't use any slang. I remember one time I told the interpreter, I said, well, "You got to go and hit somebody." And, um you know the interpreter interpreters gone and saying I must throw a punch said, no 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 this <laughs> but so it's, they take it very literally uh when you do that so it's uh, yeah very time consuming but, yep uh, um you know the the, the food is another mm. area that uh, really expanded on there's not much western food over there when i mm. was there in early 2000 and um but mm. you know the Samsung was a great company. They they looked after us uh, pretty well with all the food and the, uh, staying in in good accommodation and yep. um, made sure that we had the access of uh, you know some western uh, western um, lifestyle mm. over there. So it was a really good
2: time. Uh, 2006. The invitation comes your way to head back to Australia uh, this time with the Townsville. Uh, crocodiles, I'm guessing that would have been a fairly easy decision to make?
1: Well, it was really a decision. We spent two years now in South Korea and it was yeah. our relationship was getting serious. And we, do we go back to America um, and, or do we go to Australia? And, and one of the things in my mind was I wanted to raise kids in Australia uh, and not have them go through a metal detector to school and that was
2: yeah, um, yeah.
1: Good timing and a, a job opened up in uh, Townsville. So I flew over there and interviewed. Yeah, we finished up uh, securing the job and uh, moving all over from uh, South Korea to uh, sunny Townsville.
2: Yeah, um, a bit of a culture shock again, I imagine. Um, from there on to, to Melbourne for a year with the, the Tigers uh, and then staying in Melbourne, I think this is when you look over your career, a really interesting transition you made out of basketball uh into the world of, of afl how did that all come about that you've gone goodbye melbourne tigers uh hello hawthorne and, and north melbourne
1: yeah well that was funny because melbourne tigers uh our facilities were there when uh north melbourne um uh, same facility so our office was there and i remember the day that uh, you know we had a change of ownership at melbourne and uh, the new owner wanted to bring in their own coach, and uh, so I was packing up my office and heading down the stairs. And then Brad Scott was walking up the stairs, and we built a little bit of rapport uh, while I was there. And yeah, um, you know, he couldn't believe that I was I was leaving. And then about a uh, three weeks later, he rang up and said, "Hey, listen, why don't you come and be a fly on the wall in here in North Melbourne?" And uh, so I tagged on the end of the season of 2011 with North Melbourne, and um, the following year I um, had a conversation with Chris Fagan, and he said uh, to come out to Hawthorne um, to be a skills coach. So I said, oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Let's give this an opportunity.
2: How does a a, a guy who's made his name for himself as a basketball coach become a skills coach uh, in a completely different sporting code? Yeah,
1: it was really, when I was there at North Melbourne, I, I seen that their, their ball handling obviously with a different shape than a basketball, mm. and their skills were, well, there was something, there was a crossover you can improve, and we started doing drills, and we started seeing the improvement on the field where there was less fumbles, there was more hit targets, there was less missed marks, and I devised up a whole pro, program of ball skills, Um And Hawthorne said, we'll just come in and and give us two sessions and if we like it, uh, we'll go from there. If we don't like it, well, you can go away.
2: um,
1: I finished up, they love doing it. The players was there. I finished up doing twice a a week there for the 2013 season and and the guys really liked that sharp edge stuff that we were
2: doing and um, it grew on itself then. Well, you must have done something right there because particularly with Hawthorne, you were there... You know, right on the cusp of what was an extraordinary period of uh, success uh, for the Hawks. So, um yeah, <laughs> you obviously Yeah, it was, look, had it was fantastic. Not
1: only Clarko was a class act, yeah, but the assistant coaches were there. Were was Simo now with the Eagles? Yep. You got Chris Fagan now with uh, Brisbane. You got uh, Bevo with the Bulldogs, mm. and uh, Rattens now with St Kilda. So you had about five coaches, yeah. and for me to sit back and watch these coaches interact and how they operate, it was just a great learning curve. And I stole a number of ideas uh, for my coaching philosophy and, and brought those over here to Perth. Yeah, what, what were they
2: specifically?
1: It was really given the ownership that, you know, Buddy Franklin was there, was Ruffhead was there, Jordan Lewis his was Hodge was there, was Gibson was there. And, and the senior players really... Uh, had a lot of ownership there at Hawthorne and they held each other accountable and in my coaching it was always you must do this and so I let the reins off a little bit and gave some more power to the players mm. um and they grew grew exponentially from that and that's you know, it was the culture that Hawthorne had in place and I was able to tinker a little bit to basketball and and to improve uh the players through my coaching.
2: Yeah. Uh, you arrive in in Perth midway through 2013 to start a a three-year deal with the Wildcats. Uh, Do you remember your first session with the Cats players and how that went?
1: Yeah, no, I can't remember the first session, but I know that there was a lot, there was already some good stuff here. um, And I wanted to make a good team to a great team. And it was really having that... um, every day that we practice for excellence and we want to be the best team not only uh, in WA we wanted to be the best team in Australia we want to be the best skilled team we want to be the best hard-working team It was really low on those foundations yep. of the chemistry uh, and the culture mm. that uh, you know we still build on today
2: uh, and of course you had uh, you know some people on the court and off the court um, who were part of that culture. Uh, setting at, at at the Wildcats, where, you know, people like Nick Marvin and, and Jack Bendett from the top and then, you know, Damian Martin and guys like that on the court uh, as well. Um, in terms of your vision when you came to the to the Wildcats, what were you really trying to carve out when you got here? I mean, you've, you've outlined yeah, well, some of them good- and success obviously as a part of that. But, you know, what was your kind of singular vision that you were hoping to execute here?
1: Yeah, well that that was a lot of the parallels when we uh interviewed for the job, there was a lot mm. of parallels between the Wildcats and my personal philosophy and it yep. was have, having a um a program that where the players can grow and put back into the community and you you talked about Jack Dat there. Jack's been unbelievable uh putting back into the WA community and Nick yep. Marvin set the foundations uh up and um, you know, he's one of the best leaders that I've, I've worked with. And um, to have those things in place and have the structure, and we really put, um, you know, another leg in there from what we wanted to do with the development of players and make this the best program in Australia. We yep. wanted to be... Uh, every college kid wanted to come back and play in Perth mm. uh, because they can see their development. And we knew we'd get the results down the road. Um, But we're very fortunate to get that straight away in
2: that first year. Yeah, absolutely. And the first of five, which we'll uh, try to uh, reflect on in as much detail as we can. Trevor, right after we take another break. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon.
0: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6BR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to
2: Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest in this episode uh, is Wildcats coach Trevor Gleeson. Uh, Trevor, 2013 you arrive here and uh, straight away you tasted success. Uh, is is there something special about the first title you win now that you can reflect across 5?
1: Yeah, well, we just had a great team. We were very lucky to get James Innes, was you know a second round draft. But uh, yeah, that team was we were the most talented in there. So we had a great season and great group of guys, and really brought into our culture and our work ethic. And yeah, it was a um, even though it went to the last game of the season for the finals, it was very very rewarding that first one.
2: Yeah, uh, the following season uh, semi-finals. Uh, ended in defeat but uh, fast forward then to the 2015-16 season and a second championship uh, in three years for yourself and uh, for the club um, defeating the uh, the breakers who became a great rival for you you know didn't they Uh, the New Zealand breakers they seem to be your uh, your nemesis there for a little while how does that one sit uh, in the list of achievements for you
1: that that was just a really. I remember the really tough series. We played three games in seven days, or less than seven days. It was uh, five days, and uh, that that was a really tough period. And uh, the guys came through it again, and we had a great set there with uh, Nate Jar while we recruited, and Casey Prater first season yep.
2: that we recruited, and uh, yeah,
1: really unselfish group, and
2: uh, got the rewards. Yep. Uh, 2016 in the off season there you uh, you re-signed with the Wildcats for another three years was there ever any hesitation in your mind about that were you happy and settled obviously things going well on the court but were you happy with life here in Perth
1: yeah I, I still remember my wife was saying that I don't care if you're coaching the Wildcats she, we're staying in Perth we're not moving <laughs> again and uh yeah she just loves the lifestyle <laughs> over here and um, look, to have two championships on the belt of that stage, it was in no-brainer to sign here again. and
2: yep. uh, We certainly uh, did when that opportunity risen. Yeah. Um, the, the 2016-17 season was, was fascinating, for, I think, for a, a few reasons. The situation with uh, Jaron Johnson, uh, one of your imports, uh, it was hard to keep up with at times, it seemed. He was in and he's out. And he's, <laughs> um, but, of course, all of that in history will go down as something of a prelude to... Uh, the arrival of uh, of superstar Bryce Cotton. Uh, your reflections on on that season, uh, tumultuous but ultimately rewarding. Are they two words that you would use?
1: Yeah. Look at Christmas. Christmas. Uh, I remember was sitting last on the ladder, and not only do you have the pressure of making the finals thirty something times, and just the team wasn't playing well, it wasn't clicking, the chemistry wasn't right. So we made the tough call of releasing Jared on for the second time, and. And then you know, trying to find the right guy, and um, you know, we just we made numerous and numerous calls to find the right guy. And then I came across Bryce Cotton, and I remember seeing him a couple of years ago at the summer league. And I said, "This is the guy. This is the guy we got to get." And, yeah. Uh, it just so happens that he was available, and Thank we had to win did. the last two games of the regular season just to make the playoffs. Um, but once we did, we swept the whole thing, and it was. Mm. Uh, yeah, it felt like you're a jockey on a Melbourne Cup winner just flying home. It was a great feeling that year.
2: Uh, I think that there seems to be a bit of a you know a story or a turning point to all of your uh, championship winning seasons. Uh, and would I be right in thinking that the fourth championship, the eighteen nineteen season, kicking off with that thumping to the Utah Jazz, the NBA team uh, in the preseason, was that really the catalyst? Uh, do you think to getting that season? Uh, ultimately to, to a win?
1: Yeah, without a question. We we had a really good meeting after that and said, what kind of team do we want to be? And, you know, we were disappointed. You know, you're playing the, the best teams in the world, but we were disappointed with our output. It really cemented um, some foundations for us that season to, to play at the right level. And uh, we had a new team coming in and, uh, we had a lot of new recruits and, uh, you know, with the, the season went on and we kept on getting better and better and better as we were going through. Um, that was really a catalyst for setting us up for, for that season.
2: Yeah, and and put you in some pretty esteemed uh, company, didn't it? I mean, you became the first coach in NBL history to win uh, four championships uh, with one team. Uh, and, of course, you've gone one better than that in the 1920 season. Uh, uh, albeit after a finals campaign that was uh, <laughs> a little bit different, um, it's still fairly fresh in your mind, I imagine, the way that uh, whole series, uh, final series, really kind of unraveled as the coronavirus swept the world and became, you know, this huge pandemic.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. It was moving, you know, moving per hour. It was yeah. funny that we, the game one, we're in Sydney and they got, you know, eleven, twelve thousand 12,000 people and... We're coming back for game uh, two, then all of a sudden there's no crowds allowed to go to the game. They've mm. it locked everybody out, and uh, game three was the same in Sydney, and we are uh, were trying to get it done faster so we get a result quicker. And um, you know, unfortunately, we couldn't complete the whole series. But uh, I certainly know who was the better team out of that. Yep. And, uh, the guys played outstanding on that last game and, and it was our best game for the year at the right time. And,
2: and I think most of the neutrals would agree with you on that, uh, Trevor, but do you see a new rivalry with, with Sydney or, or a next level to the rivalry with Sydney after what happened? Because, you know, certainly some of some of the Sydney Kings players were a little bit miffed, weren't they?
1: Yeah, and that's, um, you know, that's, that's the part of the sport and the, the disappointing part that you don't uh, get the chance to celebrate... Uh, you know, for for reasons we're outside our control. So, mm. look, I was I was just proud of the guys how we performed through that period, and we stayed tough together. We were unified, and uh, we put all that aside and got out and played some great basketball and unselfish basketball. And, you know, that that's a real sign of a championship team if you can do that.
2: Have you been able to have a a Zoom party at least, or a, or a house party party online with the team? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, we we actually got in before uh, we were able to spend a day together.
0: Yeah, uh,
2: just before you had to really social the,
1: distance all the, uh, mm. yeah Yeah, uh, restrictions came into play, so we were very lucky that way.
2: Yeah. Uh, outside of the Wildcats, um, how do you reflect on your time with the Boomers, particularly in that uh, heartbreaking uh, loss to Spain uh, in 2016 at the Rio Olympics?
0: Uh,
1: yeah, that was one of the toughest places i've been in that locker room after uh, after that it was uh you know we played so well to get that opportunity and, and we probably failed against uh um in the semi-finals we were pretty disappointed in our our game against serbia to go on for the gold and and then to play spain for the um for the bronze medal game and then to lose it you know in the last seconds of the game it's uh it was heartbreaking, really was heartbreaking to see the guys, you know, the Paddy, the Boguts, the um, Joe Ingalls, uh, the Baines, you know, these NBA guys just pouring their hearts out to play for Australia and, and uh, go through that heartbreak with them is certainly you know, something that you don't want to relive, but you will certainly will never forget.
2: Uh, if you were to uh, ever put club basketball to one side, is coaching in a national setup something that appeals to you?
1: I think that, uh, you know, coaching Australia is, is a great honour. Uh, it's something I really haven't put any thought to. I've, I knew Andre had been doing a great job in there and uh, I really stepped away after the Rio Olympics for family reasons. And, um, you know, and now that's getting passed on to Brett Brown, which is a great coach. And uh, look, if the opportunity comes, I'll certainly mm. look at it, but uh, certainly haven't made a mind up by the way.
2: Yeah. Uh, one of the other things uh, outside of the Wildcats that you've been uh, heavily involved in, uh, Trevor, is raising awareness around breast cancer, which, of course, is uh, very, very close to home for you. Um, Dawn has been uh, battling breast cancer at various times throughout her life. Can I ask uh, how is she going now?
1: Yeah, no, she is doing great, absolutely great that... Uh, yeah, Dawn was diagnosed twice with breast cancer, first time up in Townsville in 2011 and, and then just a few years ago over here in Perth it mm-hmm. came back. So yeah, we're pretty passionate about uh, early diagnosis out there and that saved Dawn's life that she got in to see the doctor and yep. and got it uh, mostly confined before it spread throughout the body and unfortunately it came back here a couple of years ago and um, you know she went through that process again and... Um, there was the really the support of people here in Perth and the Wildcats and, mm. and our local community and you know some friends really stepped up to help us that uh, we're very blessed of and hopefully we can
2: give back in, in the community and uh, we do that in the Pink Game which is mm. a fantastic achievement. Yep, and in terms of uh, your coaching and and the way you develop your philosophies around uh, sports and that chemistry and culture within. Your team, Trevor, going through something like that, as profound as that off the court, does that in any way impact how you approach sport? Because, you know, sometimes you can get wrapped up in this win-at-all-costs uh, attitude. Did it in any way shift your perspective on, on sport?
1: Yeah, without a question. I didn't sweat the uh, small stuff. I kind of let that go and let responsibility go to other people. And yep. It was really a perspective. As sport is we do because we loved we love doing it, but there's a lot more important things in your health and your family and your friends. And and just to uh, – we have that pink game. You know, the pink game, it's in its third year now. And to have, um, you know, 12,000, 13,000 people turn up to the game in pink and all the players get behind it, it's just a great cause. And just to know that, um, you know, we do play a sport, but there's also more important things in life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, having said that, we'd love to see you um, take out another trophy in the 2021 season. <laughs> no pressure, Trevor. Uh, hopefully yeah, you'll be able to cheers. get back on the court at some point and uh, and start preparing for that.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's these up now, so we'll get these yeah. uh, guys in and make sure they're uh, A-OK.
2: Well, congratulations uh, on all of your success, including those five titles uh, to date. Trevor Gleeson, thank you very much for sharing your story with us.
1: Appreciate
2: it. No worries. Thanks again you have be listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story.
0: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything.